Welcome to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. For more information on our church, visit us online at cbcbuna.com. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Galatians uh, chapter 1? I am uh, very thankful for those of you who are with us in person, and I know we probably have several watching online. In fact, I'm reminded of that today because Mallory and the kids are actually watching online this morning. We have a couple couple kids under the weather. Um, We were not able to attend uh, the rodeo that is really close to our house, by the way. so we didn't get to attend the rodeo, but we heard the rodeo. I just want you to know, uh, especially when we went out on the back porch. And I mean, they, they had the time of their lives. My kiddos, uh, my four-year-old, pr- particularly some of his friends had talked to him about it. And he was really excited for what he referred to as the button busting. Uh, so <laughs> I told him, I think you're confusing that with Thanksgiving, son. That's button busting day right there. Uh, di- different day, a different day. Uh, but we had a good time. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, our, our road literally ends looking at the arena. So we actually just kind of hung out and watched them get ready all day. And my youngest son was out there and somebody had one of their horses with like the big uh, horse blanket over it going all the way to the ground. And it was bright blue. And Robert was very excited because he had made a very rare discovery of a bright blue horse. I uh, was very excited about that. So uh, we, we got to hear all that. But uh, I, I wanted just to say a thank you to our team that does all of our audiovisual stuff, you know, because we, we do take for granted those things until the day that you happen to be at home under the weather or on traveling or something. But we're very thankful for uh, Burnus and Robin and Brian. Thank you all so much for all of your hard work every single week. It does not go unnoticed. It's a special ministry to us. So uh, be sure to tell them thank you when you see them and get a chance to do that. So we're here in Galatians starting a brand new series. I'm excited to walk through this book of the New Testament with you over the coming months. Don't worry, we'll take some breaks here and there. If you heard months and immediately your eyes glazed over, we're going to be all right. We will uh, take some time off here and there. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with this letter if you have a church background that uh, Paul has written to the church in uh, Galatia, the churches of Galatia. But some of you might be newer to church and may be encountering this text for the very first time. I think this is a really cool book for us to be studying in this season of our life as a church family. This has been referred to, the book of Galatians, as the Magna Carta, the great charter of the Christian life. Others have referred to it as the Christian's Declaration of Independence. It is the book of Galatians that God used to really spur Martin Luther to become the great reformer and the Protestant Reformation was born. We might not be here. You might be having to kneel down and stand up several times in church if it wasn't for the book of Galatians and God using that in the life of Martin Luther. Uh, So this book is powerful and has changed Christians throughout history. And I'm praying that in this season of our church's life that you and I might would be spurred to uh, have our hearts stirred in such a way that maybe a new revolution could start right here in Buna, Texas. That as we just stare at the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
that we would be changed by it in such a way that we can't help but be changed and change the people that we encounter every single week. So I want to encourage you to join us here on Sundays when you're able uh, and when you're not to be able to use those resources, whether it be the live stream. You can go to cbcbuna.com slash sermons and you can find a podcast, you can find video, and you can kind of catch up with where we're at. But we're going to be walking through this kind of verse by verse, section by section, and letting the Lord just teach us as we walk through this passage. So with all of that said, let's dive into this journey together. We're going to read the first five verses of chapter one, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to speak to us as we study his word. The word of the Lord says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Lord, we do come asking that everything we do, every word we speak, every thought we think in this next little while would be pointed toward you, that you would have our full attention and that you would indeed receive the glory forever and ever and especially now in these few moments we have to wrap ourselves around your word. Make us who it is you want us to be as individuals, as a family, as a church family. God, I pray that we would understand the reality of your gospel and how you want it to change every single part of our lives. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, in the next few weeks, we're going to begin to kind of unfold this letter, and we'll see uh, really why it was written, and we'll think about the issues that were facing the Galatians and how some of those issues from ancient Galatia still creep into our lives today. So we're getting to that. But today, we're going to start off in really the most basic of ways. When you are studying a book of the Bible, two very important, basic, but very important questions that you might want to ask are, who wrote it? And who were they writing to? These are two questions that really formulate what is happening here in this text. So we're going to do that together at the beginning of this message. First, let's talk about who wrote it. So the author of this would be Paul. We know that because the first letter of the first word of this letter simply says Paul. This is the same Paul who wrote about 75% of the New Testament. Essentially, Paul was the first a missionary, like church planter. Uh, he would go into a community and would uh, preach the gospel and people would be saved. And then those people who were saved would form a church and then he would help them kind of get that church established and he would go on to the next town and do the same thing. But this is the same Paul who was once known as Saul. We're going to hear his testimony from his own words here in a few weeks, but you will also find a fuller version of that in the book of Acts. Paul was once known as Saul, a leader in the Jewish religious group known as the Pharisees. He was respected and admired for his passion and his leadership, and his peers really saw him as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In fact, he was so well thought of that he was passionate, so passionate that he was one who was put in charge with going to round up these Christians who were disturbing these Jewish communities. 
So, so Paul made it his job to find people who had converted to Christianity or even just people who were uh, messing with the Jewish communities and was making sure they were punished, even at times murdered. You might remember in Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyr. That word martyr just means someone killed for their faith. So the first Christian that is killed for their faith, a guy named Stephen, it says at the end of that, that as they beat him with rocks, that they laid their coats at a guy named Saul. It's this guy who we now know as Paul. But something miraculous happened. In Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul was on the Damascus road going to to round up and, and punish more Christians. But the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. And everything changed. Everything. In that moment, we see that Saul is saved by Jesus. And most people think there was some sort of formal name change, but actually that's not really what happened in Saul's life. Uh, The word Paul is just the Greek way to say the word Saul. So he really just, in being called and commissioned by Jesus to reach the Gentiles, he started using the name Paul. And we see that Saul is now identified as Paul, and the Lord is specifically calling him to minister to the Gentiles, which is why he's going by the name Paul. I want to just stop down for a moment to say something that I think is obvious, but at the same time, I don't think we actually live like it's obvious. Can I just remind you, friends, of something you would claim to know, but you don't really live like you believe? There is no one beyond the reach of the gospel. Nobody. And if some of you need to hear that in a couple of ways, first let me start with those of you who need to hear it for you. And some of you in this room, you're like, man, you don't know my story, Rusty. You don't know where I've been. You, you don't know the roads I've gone down. You don't know the sin in my life. You don't know the mistakes I've made. But here's what I can tell you. God knows, and yet you're still here. He's still giving you this opportunity to, to hear the gospel and to hear the good news proclaimed. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've run. There is no way to get far away from Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? And maybe you've been here at church, you think, man, I've just blown it too many times. Paul's going to share this in a couple weeks, but I'm not going to wait till then to share it with you. Listen, if the Lord can meet Paul on the Damascus Road, he certainly can meet you here in the sanctuary at Central Baptist Church in Buna, Texas. But there's another group of you in here who need to hear that, maybe not for you, but maybe for somebody else in your life that you've just given up on. Don't you see how we kind of do that at some point? Maybe you hold out hope for a little while, but then at some point you're like, yeah, it's just not in the cards. Maybe you were praying for a family member who had wandered away from the Lord or who had never come to the Lord, and somewhere along the way you've just given up hope, and you've stopped praying, you've stopped sharing, you've stopped inviting. I just want to encourage you today and tell you don't stop. Don't give up on somebody the Lord has not given up on. Aren't you thankful the Lord didn't give up on you? He should have. Some of you are like, how dare you? Yeah, all of us. He should have. Yet he continued to pursue us till our hearts and our minds were open to what he was doing. Oh, don't give up on somebody, friends. Pray for those. Reach out. There's no one beyond reach of the gospel. So Paul goes from murderer to apostle. It's a wild transformation. 
according to verse 1. This word apostle simply means sent one, sent one. The term apostle specifically in the New Testament, though, was used to describe those who had walked with and been commissioned by Christ himself. And Paul here is boldly adding himself to that number because Christ did reveal himself physically to Paul on the Damascus Road and even enlisted him, commissioned him himself. You'll notice in verse 1 that Paul makes it clear he's not sent by men, but he's sent by Christ. And that means you and I ought to pay close attention to what we see here in this text. But we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I want us to shift to this second question, and that would be who is the Apostle Paul writing to? Verse 2 tells us that this is written to the churches in Galatia. So we've talked about the author. Let's talk about the audience. And this would be the Galatian churches. Galatia is geographically located in what would be modern-day Turkey. And this wasn't a city like some of the other letters that we have that were written to churches in, in cities. This was a region known as Galatia. If you've read through the book of Acts, you might be familiar with some of the names of the towns that are in this province, like Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia. These are names that you see where Paul went and started churches on his missionary journey. Now, I will note real quick, in case any of you are Galatian scholars here, uh, that there is kind of a modern theory that perhaps Paul wasn't writing to these churches in southern Galatia that are mentioned in Acts, but that these are actually some communities that were in northern Galatia, some Roman colonies that were up there. Uh, I don't really think that that holds water. I would be one of those old school, I guess, New Testament scholars that uh, believe he's writing to the southern Galatian churches. But here's what I'll tell you. It doesn't really matter. The interpretation of the letter doesn't change based on that. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But it is clear from this text that Paul was writing this letter to several churches, Several churches. This wasn't a single church. This is a letter that would have been circulated to multiple churches around this region. I wanted to make that distinction this morning because I think there's this weird notion in our modern culture that having a bunch of different churches is a sign that Christianity is actually kind of messed up. Have you heard that before? Like growing up here in Southeast Texas, I even caught that vibe from people at times. Like if Jesus is real and if uh, he really has this church, then why do we have all these different churches? Shouldn't we all be coming together and being one church? And then you even have well-meaning people even in some of these churches sometimes who will say things like, well, we really just need to all come together and be one church. You know, like it was in the early church, that's what people will say. Well, the problem with that, friends, is the Bible. Because we're reading right here that there were different, unique, uh, I would even say you could make a case that they were autonomous, different local churches. Unique and different, though, doesn't mean that they were not part of one universal church. See, these unique churches still had one faith, one baptism, and one Lord. And that was what brought them together. Uh, it's important to say this, I think, today, because... Churches, especially, I think in rural communities like ours, it's easy to look at other churches and see competition, right? Oh, okay, I'm the only one. Uh, you don't. Cool. Watch what happens if one starts growing faster than the others, right? Or, oh, this is going to get too real. I'm going to get in trouble. I've only been here a month. What happens if a cool church opens up, maybe in a town down the road, and a bunch of people start going there? <laughs> 
I can tell you what happened. We start beating that church like a pinata, hoping candy comes out and that it's enough candy for fall festival. Here's what I want to tell you, friends. If churches are proclaiming Christ and him crucified, and the only way to salvation is by grace through faith in him, you need to know that they are our brothers and sisters. And we need each other if we're going to reach this community. So, so the call is not that we need to stop having church at Genesis and at First Baptist and at First Assembly and Pentecostal Church and Methodist Church. No, the answer is that we need to pray for these friends. We need to help them when we can, and we need to serve, yes, in our unique different ways because we are unique churches that are different. There's a reason that we're Central Baptist Church and that we come to church together. And there are some differences between us and our friends at these other churches. But at the end of the day, we know that we are on the same team and that we need to work together to make sure that Jesus, the church that he wants to see built, is being built up and established. This was written to the churches in Galatia. So it's these churches in Galatia that Paul is writing to. And this letter, I think, was written between his first and second visits. You can read about those first visits and these churches being established in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And we'll kind of get into the main thrust of this letter next week, uh, talking about the problem they were dealing with. Uh, but this background is going to kind of help us get our feet under us as we get ready to do that. But I think it's interesting how the Lord is bridging the gap between our last series with this new one, because there are two big questions that I think we see answered in this introduction that we would do well to consider today. And the first question and answer would be this, how does God speak? And the answer would be his word. Now, I know some of y'all are thinking like, we get it, Rusty. My goodness, this is week four. You've said this every single week. But, but I think an astute listener and maybe even somebody who's listening to that and you've heard me for four weeks say, God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. And we come back to that. You might be asking, well, how did we get this word? How did we arrive at this Bible. And listen, I'm not going to give you an hour-long lecture. We could talk about a lot of different things, but I do think we see a key to that here in this text we're studying right now. Paul calls himself an apostle. And this word, I think, is very important in the New Testament. A couple verses you may want to write down and go back and read later, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone on which the entire church is built. But he's the cornerstone, but the foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets. And then in chapter 4 of that same letter, Paul says, hey, the church has been given uh, these spiritual gifts of leadership for the sake of the church. And he mentions apostles and prophets, and then he mentions teachers and preachers and evangelists. And that word apostle uh, is a very important word because here's what I think the Bible is clearly establishing for us. And it's important that you and I understand this today, that the apostles helped us establish the foundation of our faith by establishing and putting together the word of God. How did we get the word of God? We got the word of God through the apostles. The words we have before us in our Bibles, we're not conjured up by random people and pieced together by an emperor several you know, centuries later that had a wild hair one day. That's like a real popular, easily debunked narrative that secular culture preaches. Like I saw some dude on, you know, whatever, TikTok or whatever, you know, like 
talking about it, some country singer all tatted up. He's called Nutty Bar or Swiss Cake Rolls or Jelly Roll or I don't even know, something like that. And he's like, man, this whole thing got put together by Constantine. And I'm like, oh, this guy. And the problem with it is that there's a bunch of people, unfortunately, my age and younger, who are like, oh, yeah. If your source of information is Little Debbie Cake Singer, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. But I do want to tell you that we can have faith and know that historically, intellectually, the Bible we have before us today has been put together for a reason and by the Lord's guidance. So we arrived at this today because the Old Testament, in the time of the early church, the Old Testament had already very clearly been established. I know there are books, well, what about those books they left out? And some of y'all are going to email me, that's fine. My email is Caleb Turner at, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'd be happy to have this dialogue with you. But, but I'll tell you, man, uh, it really, those books that were left out were not really considered part of the Old Testament by the early church, even then, if you go and look historically at it. So the Old Testament was really given to us, again, by who? The prophets. The Lord used the prophets to establish the Old Testament. And these New Testament books were all written by the apostles or people who were very close to the apostles. And I'm talking within a century, we have the Bible in the order and the books in the order that we have it today. And the church has clung to this for centuries, friends. So this is why the early church was confident in the scriptures. Peter said it himself. Peter, you know, was also another one of these sent ones, another one of these apostles. In 2 Peter 2.21, he said it this way, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So listen to me, friends. Why do we want to preach the word of God? Why am I so concerned about you reading, diving into, getting into the Word of God? Why am I so passionate about this? Because we believe that this is the very Word of God. That the Bible that you and I have today was assembled and put together and protected and preserved by the Holy Spirit himself. And Paul is going out of his way to make sure the Galatians know this. He calls himself an apostle. And then just in case they think, you know, he's using that term to, to speak of being an ambassador or that he was an apostle sent by Peter or John or somebody else. No, he says, not sent by men or because of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is a super bold but important claim. Paul is in essence saying, I'm writing to you on behalf of the resurrected Christ. And his words are my words. Now, if a preacher ever tells you that, run. But when the word of God says that, we ought to lean in and press in. Brothers and sisters, if we believe this, and I pray that we do, we ought to be on the edge of our seats listening to the word of God. 
This extends to the rest of our Bibles, not just the book of Galatians. God has given us his word, so we ought to be joyful and excited every single time the word of God is open. Uh, whether that be in your quiet time, whether that be in your Bible study class, whether that be here on Sunday mornings, whenever and however we open up the word of God, we ought to be excited to listen to God speak to us. So from the very beginning of Galatians, Paul is telling us that God has a word for us from his word. So I'm excited to study this with you in the weeks ahead. So how does God speak through his word delivered to us through the prophets and apostles? And we can be confident that our Bibles are written, assembled, protected, and preserved by the Holy Spirit of God. But another good question to, be asked, to ask would be this. What does God speak? And the answer to that is the gospel. Would you read with me again, verses 3 through 5? It's worth checking out. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Really, honestly, y'all, these three verses sum up much of what this letter is going to talk about. And I love that Paul starts with the good news of the gospel. Grace and peace are available to us because God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have provided them to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel is available. He's delivered us from this present evil age. Listen, you don't have to live according to our culture that's always shifting and always changing. You can live with a firm foundation that is Christ. And these words, grace and peace, so often get overlooked in passages like this. Like, oh yeah, grace and peace to you, moving on. But, but you need to know that these words really lay the foundation for the gospel truth that we're going to unpack for the next several weeks. It's really astounding when you stop and think about it. This gospel is only possible because of the grace of God. Did you know, spoiler alert, you didn't deserve salvation? None of us do. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but God loved us enough that he sent Jesus to be the payment for our sins. And all who come and call on him and ask him to be their Lord and Savior can be saved today. This is the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, a relationship with God is possible for you and me. You and I can be at peace with God because Jesus paid the price for our sins. So this peace only comes through grace. Grace and peace to those who've been saved. Could you use a little grace and peace in your life today, friends? Oh, it's available through the power of the gospel. But as we're going to see in the weeks ahead, we, we have this dangerous tendency as humans to add to the gospel. In the Western world, we don't really like to receive gifts from people. Because we like to have the mentality, especially, man, and I grew up here. I know how we roll in Southeast Texas. We earn what we get, right? Man, a president wants to make somebody mad. Do y'all remember back President Obama, I think it was him, who said, you didn't build that? Ooh, you want to make some people mad. I mean, he kind of had a point in what he was talking about, if we're being honest. But it didn't matter if he had a point. How dare you? We are a self-made people. Can I tell you something? This is going to be hard for you to hear, Southeast Texas folks. 
The gospel is not for self-made people. The gospel is made for the poor in spirit who say, I've got nothing, but Jesus, you gave everything so that I could have a relationship with you. So bring your nothing to the feet of the cross and experience the power of the gospel. It's hard though. So because we don't like to feel like you know, something was just given to us, we add things to the gospel to try to make it seem like we've earned it. I was reminded, thinking about this, of, you know, like Andy Bernard and Dwight trying to outdo one another so they didn't owe each other. Do you remember that? Nobody? Okay, cool. We do that spiritually. I'm trying to do enough good things that I feel good about it. I want to do enough good things that I feel like I'm doing my part. Can I tell you, Jesus died on the cross because your attempts at doing your part had you in a bad, bad way. Paul is coming out swinging in the early pages of this letter trying to break the chains of legalism because anything we add to the gospel becomes legalism. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all we have. And this gospel is the story, friends, of the entire Bible. The entire Bible. The same thing we did when we talked about the Word of God. You can zoom out and see that this isn't just verses 3 through 5 in the book of Galatians. Did you know that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The whole Bible is the story of God redeeming mankind through the work of Jesus Christ. From page 1 all the way back to the maps, as the old preachers would say. This is the story of God loving us enough for his glory and for his sake. He came and made a way for you and me to be right with him. So as we dive into this one book of the Bible, I want you to understand what we're going to study here in Galatians ought to change the way you read the rest of the Bible. It ought to change the way you think about other books of the Bible as well. All of Scripture is God's Word, and all of it proclaims His good news that new life is possible through the gospel. So as we grasp these things, church, real transformation is possible. Paul is a murderer-turned-apostle. He was sent by the devil to murder Christians, and now he is sent by the Savior to proclaim the gospel. Isn't that wild? And here's what I want to see as we wrap up. I know some of you are getting nervous. He doesn't seem like he's stopping. We're almost there. I want to remind you this truth. This is real important. Saved ones are sent ones. Saved ones are sent ones. Now, I want to be clear. I told you that the word apostle means sent one. You're not an apostle. We're not going to have some sort of weird commissioning. Oh, it's going to be that kind of church now. No, don't worry about that. You're, we're not naming anyone an apostle today. Uh, you are a little a sent one apostle, if we'll just say it that way. Here's the reality, though. If you have been saved by Christ, you have not just been saved from an eternity in hell. You have been saved to his glorious mission. You have been saved so that you can now go and proclaim this gospel that has transformed your life. So let me just ask you first, are you saved today? Do you really know Jesus? Have you had a moment where you surrendered your life to him? 
Have you had a moment where you recognize, man, I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to earn my own salvation? Maybe you're in this place today and as we've talked about this, you're like, man, I've been trying to do it myself. I've been trying to do like DIY Christianity and it's not worked out. And today you just need to say, man, I just need Jesus. I need to be saved. If that's you, let today be the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without asking him to be your Lord and Savior. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about what that looks like. But let me ask this, because I know many of you in here would say, Pastor, I've already made that decision. I've given my life to Christ. Are you living as a sent one today? Are you a saved person who has been sent? I gotta tell you, there are pockets of our community and our area that God has uniquely created you to reach and that no amount of preaching in this pulpit is going to make a difference in their lives, but he sent you to go there. Anytime people talk about church size, it gets real weird. We don't count. By the way, I love that. How many are you running? I, if somebody starts counting, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because I don't like answering that question. I think it's dumb. But look at the camera. It's dumb. But every view online is multiplied by two and a half, so thousands are part of our church. Here's what I want to tell you. The, the people sitting in these seats is not really the reach of our church. Because can I tell you, when, when we preach to, I don't know, a couple hundred, few hundred people on a Sunday morning, can I tell you, when I'm preaching this message to you, I know that this is actually a message that's going to impact thousands of people because you're going to your mission field tomorrow. You're going to your workplace. You're going to your classroom. You're going to your home to minister to your children and raise your little disciples for Christ. You are going to impact literally thousands of people. And can I tell you, they're people that we would never reach no matter how many fall festivals we try to do. You are uniquely created and God has saved you so that he can send you into your specific realm of influence for the sake of the gospel. Do you want our church to grow? That's a fair question. Some of you are like, no, it's already too big. That's a whole other sermon i got to preach sometime, I guess. Can I tell you how a church can grow? We can just keep tricking things up. You know, we can just keep programming and making all kinds of cool things. And I don't even know what that is. But we're just going to get a bunch of people to come. It's going to be real exciting. We can do that. Like, there, there's a recipe for making a big church. But can I tell you how you change the world? Stop trying to build a church. Start trying to build the kingdom of God and do it with disciples who actually live like they're being sent by Jesus on his mission. At the end of the day, I just want to tell you, the Lord didn't call me here to grow a big church. But I believe that you and I, our families together, as this church family, can make a difference that goes way beyond these walls. But it starts with saved ones becoming sent ones. So I pray that we would be that people transformed by Jesus to take the transforming power of the gospel to a world that needs it. Grace and peace are yours, and grace and peace are available to the people you interact with every day. Let's take that with them. Why? Verse 5 says, 
so that God the Father can receive the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Thank you for listening to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. Praying that you continue to connect, grow, and serve. 